Hello, fellow watch lovers, nerds, enthusiasts, or however you identify. You're listening to 40 and 20, the Watch Clicker podcast with your hosts, Andrew and my good friend, Everett. Here, we talk about watches, food, drinks, life, and other things we like. Everett, how are you? I, you know, I think I got it, man. Why did you speed me up? I, no, I wasn't speeding you up. I was just giving myself kudos for the my oh. excellent pan on you the audio. You gave me the wrap it up no, motion. No. <laughs> yes, stop talking, Andrew. No, it was like uh, I finally got our, uh, I, I'm learning our faders. And so oh. I felt like it was really, I was like, like, yeah, I did it. That's what it was. I'm sorry. I felt rushed. <laughs> I was like, am I doing it wrong? I, I mean, I don't ever do no. it right, I don't hey, think. Hey, you but. did it right, Andrew. You did it right. Uh, I'm not going to talk about this drink because you're going to talk about it later, I understand. Well, but yes. I'm excited. I'm excited. Uh, I'm doing well, Andrew. Full law firm merger and physical move of two offices this week. Woo! So starting on Friday, kind of running through the weekend, and then like we're just today. So Tuesday is when we're recording. Today was the day that I kind of walked around and I was like, this is starting to feel like a place you can do business. Are you operational? I mean, because you never really took a break. No, no, there was no break. I mean, you can't take a break. In, in the, you know, there's there's no such thing. So there's like hide, hide, hide from the clients for as long as possible. Um, yeah, we're there. I, I, you know, it's been exhausting. New, new partners. So I've got a new partner. Um, you know, we've we've spent. I've spent. Oh my god, I've spent so much money in the last five days. Nice, like more money than I've ever spent in my life. <laughs> I've spent in the last thirty days. Five days. King Seiko money, huh? <laughs> and in addition to that, I bought a watch. So yeah, I'm tired, but I feel really good. It's exciting. It's uh, it's fun. You know, professional things like this are really satisfying. Um, That's a big move. It, it's a big move. I it, imagine it's kind of like a coming of age for you too, because you became a partner and like you you were brought into this space that already existed, mm-hmm. and then you moved that space to somewhere else where you're kind of the OG. Yeah. In the space. Yeah, you know, you, you, you're right. So w- when both, so I've got uh, another partner that's a contemporary of mine, and we were both sort of brought in by the firm as like the the potential legacies, right? Mm-hmm. And I, I think we've we've done what was expected of us and more, and now we've just added a complete new law firm. I mean, it's exciting, right? It's this really sort of uh, benign thing, you know, in, in terms of what happens in the world. But yeah, it's like fuck. I'm like things happen in my life. This professional achievements; those are big things. It's pretty rad. I'm I'm stoked. I'm happy. I'm exhausted, but I'm I'm fucking ready, dude. What, Andrew? How are you? I'm good. Perfectly normal. <laughs> I got the. I, I took my boat into the shop last week, yeah. and they were. Yeah. They yep. told me it was going to be about a month before they could even look at it. And they called yeah. me today. And whenever you take uh, any kind of machine into a mechanic, and this is yeah. good okay right. okay we won't talk about it yet we're gonna talk uh, about it later. whenever you take any kind of machine to a mechanic you like fear the worst you're like what have i done to destroy it how am i gonna spend all of my money to fix my common <laughs> my, my little error and they called and they're like hey it's actually not so bad it's more money than i want to spend but it's a couple and like hey, it's old but you know it's you know you we got that. you but you know we've got the it's these couple things and you know you did a good job troubleshooting such that we started where we picked up where you left off and that made it shorter. So it cost you less. <laughs> uh, so they got to order some parts and, but I'll have my boat back in like a week and a half and, and then we can take it out and we're going to get on the water. Can so. we actually take it out? I feel like we talk about this and then we don't actually do well, it. Well, cause it wasn't running. That was the, that was the, the, 
the hang up there, but now it's running. But you're healthy. You look good. Your skin tone I, is, my, is, is is it's quite uh uh you know pale because I live in the darkness. But your um, standard pallor, I feel like, is less objectionable today than it often is. It is, and my demeanor's a little better. I've been sleeping pretty good. I'm all right. I'm feeling good, all and right. I'm excited. You're excited. Are you excited about what we're gonna what well, we're I'm gonna do right about now? About what we're about to do. Yeah. Can we do it? Let, let's do it. Let's do it. I'm excited to. Do you want to do this? I think you should. Okay. So today, today, very important guest. Very important guest. I think less necessarily because of any of his achievements or importance to the watch world, and mostly because of his a incredible accent and b. His fantastic haircut. Yes, I was going to mention that. Fantastic hair. haircut. Important. We've got, <laughs> we've got on the show tonight the the watch watch person extraordinaire. Yes, watch person extraordinaire, f- former former Bramont extraordinaire and current global brand director for the Zodiac Watch Company. We've got Mike Pearson. If, if you're a listener of podcasts, you may have heard Mike. On other shows, Mike is one of these guys who's here for the enthusiasts. Us. He's here for the people who want to talk about watches, which I think is just delightful. This is a professional who takes time out of his day. Mike Pearson, welcome to 40 and 20, the Watch Clicker podcast. How the heck are you? I'm fantastic now, especially after that welcome, sir. Thank you very much. (laughs) And the haircut is awful. It is floppy and thinning, but... Are you really going to talk to me about thinning hair? Gosh, I was. (laughs) Rub rub the salt. Yeah, you got to be sensitive. You got to be sensitive, Andrew. Yes, but you have a good shaped head. I have these massive ears, so it's not going to look good. I have a headset on, so, you know, they're. They they do well. They do well. You you talk about skin tone and and how you look. My, My cursive life is being pink and English and living in America, and any time the sun comes out, it just burns and it's horrible so uh, everything you said in that introduction to each other i loved and <laughs> i uh, i resonate with massively <laughs> mike i think that will go down as one of our one of our best opening comments ever that the curse of my life is being pink and english that's my life uh, that's yeah. i also i'm familiar with your pain i work less during en- hours less of english. darkness so not not i mean probably less english in that you were born there but yeah yeah certainly less i was english. yeah well well shoot Welcome to the show, man. So, Mike, I met you in San Francisco at the mm-hmm. Wind Up Watch event, and we talked, I don't know, for probably about an hour. Just, I was probably drinking. I think you were not, and I'm sorry. I'm sorry that you weren't able to drink at that time because you were working. That you know of. Yeah, yeah that's Professional, right. Professionals in the watch industry, they hide it very, very well. <laughs> <laughs> uh, and and we talked at that time about, you know, getting you on the show, and here we are. We, we, it's been, you know, as these things go, we, we've tried to make it happen and uh, it takes some time, but here you are. Well, you've got some moves and I've had some big moves. So yeah, it, yeah. it, it happened at the right time. As much as I am willing to make my move sound like a big deal, you actually moved from a different continent yeah. to mm-hmm. here. So you, you've moved from England now in... North Texas. Uh, just North Dallas. Yeah, North Dallas. So we were just saying before, uh, the next thing to us is Oklahoma. Uh, we're all the way up there, but 
Zodiac's head office is in uh, Richardson, which is just outside of Dallas. And it's an easy commute. It's, it's a little bit of the old country still around us. You can still see cows and what Texas was up here, but it's a big monopoly board. Uh, every time you look around oh, yeah. there's a school or a, another subdivision, we're happy to be here. I've just got to slap on the SPF 7004 and I might survive. <laughs> yeah, yeah, the SPF That's where we are. t-shirt is was always my MO. 100%, yeah. We're super excited. So let's let's hear it. Let, you you've made this huge cross country move for or cross mm-hmm. cross world move. What are you doing? And what's it mean? <laughs> I mean, yeah, wait, I, well, I, I, global brand manager or director. Pardon me, global brand. Director. I have no idea what that. It's just a title. We just sell watches. Um, I, I will end up just touching a little bit of everything that Zodiac needs to touch to make sure people know the story and. The, the sales team know how to, to to sell and where people want to buy us. And as we grow, it's it's just basically touching all of that. But I've been in and around America since the mid 2000s. And I moved here in 2007. And I live, I spent a decade in Michigan. And I would always say that I was born in England, but raised in Detroit. My most formative years of being an adult were in Michigan. And it was also where I started within the watch industry. Um, we moved to Texas after a year in New York City. Um, due to incredible snow and my wife being pregnant and I was in the sun uh, selling watches or or promoting watches in the Caribbean. And I said to her, I would never do that to her again. So we looked at all the weather conditions and we looked at time zones to talk to the UK and the middle of the country just seemed safe and well and opportunistic and there's tons to do here. So we we landed within Texas professionally as well as personally. Uh, And we like it, but we uh, just after COVID, we decided to go back to England. And it was an amazing year um, for whatever circumstance, mostly personal. Um, my wife and I decided to come back to America and to Texas for Zodiac. So long story short, we're here because of Zodiac, but also for life. We, we've got two young kids, two sausage dogs, slightly pathetic, but we love them. And uh, yeah, so we know the area. So this will be where we, we, set, we settle down and we, we create roots, should we say. Texas is it. Well, you know, you never say never, right? Because I mean, I've traveled, I've traveled, I think now to about 44 US states, including yours. I love, I love Oregon. And it's a big, big world out there. And we're here for a a long time. And Michigan is a big part of especially my wife, but for me as well. So I think maybe in the end, if, if America is forever, I would be Tim Allen, but knocking him out of the way talking about pure Michigan. Sure. Uh, because I think it's a very misunderstood, beautiful part of the country and well, world. Well, it's interesting. I, I know a few people that love Michigan, and they're all from Michigan. Uh, <laughs> and they all show you where on the mitten they're <laughs> yeah, from right. in Michigan. 100%. Yeah, that's right. 100%. So it, it's, I think it's an interesting place to land. You know, Michigan, obviously, a very, very important part of, if not just American history, um, the entire, you know, industrial world right owes a, a certain amount of the way they do business to michigan it but i don't think it often gets included in like quality of life type of discussions uh for, for, for some reasons that are perhaps apparent and obvious yeah. but also some reasons that are sort of um difficult and tough to talk about what, what was your experience in michigan Well, I'm a big believer that stereotypes stick. So I'm sitting here as an Englishman drinking a beer, thinking about soccer. So, you know, that that that's true. But with Michigan and 
within all the different states that are out there, you'd say Oregon, oh, it rains, or you've got LA or the, you know, the traffic or, you know, the stereotypes of what you'd find. But with Michigan, I think you've got Detroit and you can think about the, the incredible things that it did in terms of industry and music and, 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 and everything that it brought to the world. But then you can also think of the bad times within the sixties and the divide within that state. When I got there in 2005 to first visit it, it blew my mind. You could see the money just pouring out of the car industry and into the suburbs. And Detroit was a was a bit bit of a bit of a, a hole compared to the industry or to the way it looks today. But when I went past the bigger part of what you'd class as the ghetto, the seven, eight, nine mile, you go into into the beautiful part of the world, which is great living, huge houses. Everyone's got a car. There's they have basements, which now in Texas I miss. But it was also <laughs> lake life good living mm-hmm. sport was massive kids live free you know it, it felt very very beautiful for me and i and one thing i think for the watch industry as well is it, it was also an escape because when i'd come back to michigan from being in la or new york or wherever across the world no one cared uh, not in my immediate circle of course there's fantastic luxury watch shops and watch collectors but for my friend group no one cared about watches or money or what we did and so in a way it was perfect to uh, clear the mind, hit a lake, you know, go for a walk or a hike or you know, go see the tigers. And it, it really was the, the yin and the yang to my life. It, it, it really settled me down. And I kind of understood the best of America from there because they, there's, there's nowhere that works harder than the Midwest. Um, but also you, you, you live well from that work as well. So mm-hmm. I learned a lot about myself, the industry, and it was a base. It was always a base. I, I never meant it to be home for 10 years. I, I thought it would just be for a little bit, but end up being massive. So yeah, I'm a big, big believer in Michigan. I understand that you can get Tigers tickets just about any weekday afternoon for 10 bucks in the bleachers. You know what? Uh, when I was there in 2000, when we moved properly in 2007, it was the good times. It was a year after uh, oh, Ordonez, uh sure. hit the mm-hmm. home run into, to get into the World Series, which we got swept. And I fell in love with America and grew my watch business, should we say, the brands I was with, through going to see the Tigers home and especially away. So every time I'd go to see, I don't know, a retailer in Denver, I would do it when the Tigers are playing in Colorado or in New York. I, I mean, I saw the best of America through food, music and sport especially. Um, but I'd drive forever and you'd see the openness of it all. And, you know, I'm a big believer that you've got to get lost to find it. And uh, that's what I did when I was new and and early in the watch industry. But I I did do it through baseball and finding a good burger joint or barbecue. I'll tell you, you know, baseball, I think is, is maybe slightly out of favor relative to its, its heyday in America. I still think that baseball, you've got like the two most important pillars of Americana, the Mormon church and, and major league baseball. (laughs) And I say that only slightly tongue in cheek because I really think that's true. Uh, you, you know, there is a thing that happens at a baseball park that is you, you maybe it's not rapidly apparent, but, uh, uh, you, you know, you spend a little bit of time following a baseball team and it's like this is this is America, right? The way the farm clubs work and everything. 100%. Uh, really fantastic. Well, and the well, cities that baseball teams are based out of are always just that's the city. Yeah. You know, barring barring L.A. and New York the identity of cities with a baseball team are tied up in that city. And, and in some ways, New York, maybe not LA, but, yeah. uh, well, I think so. Well, well, great. Let's, let's ask, let's ask some, some watch questions because I, as much as I would love to talk about Americana and Detroit and the industrial revolution 
and baseball. For I was wondering. Sake. I was wondering the six states you haven't been to. <laughs> oh yeah, that's a that's the, a good question. The Dakotas, Vermont. I've not been to Maine, uh, if that counts. I've not been to <laughs> Wyoming. <laughs> Where else have I not been? I think there's a couple more I can't think Alaska of. But that's pretty, that, would, be, um, would be a venge- like a guess. I've been to Alaska. Okay. I love Alaska. It's the best of America. I've been to Hawaii. I've been very lucky in my travels. No, but so yeah, so the Dakotas, Wyoming, Vermont, Maine. You're fine. That's yeah. You haven't you've missed done, anything. You've done it all. You're yeah. fine. You're, there's nothing to miss. You, you've not missed nothing. I'm a big. I'm a big fan of Yellowstone. I have to go to see Wyoming in real life okay, to see if enough. it is the either. GYE is that huge and that's scary. The GYE goes all the way into Montana. Yeah, yeah, yeah. That's true. Montana. That's I've the other one. Oh, oh man, okay. you're fine. You've seen all of America. <laughs> then you are right? missing out on Yellowstone. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> uh, well, well, great. Can you tell us a little bit? So, uh, so now, global brand director for Zodiac Watch is mm-hmm. fantastic company, and we're gonna get to listen. We're going to get to Zodiac. But before we get to Zodiac, can you tell us a little bit about your journey in watches? Because a lot of folks will know you from other brands historically. You've not mm-hmm. been at Zodiac all that long. You're you're yeah. perhaps uh, more well-known for your time at Bremont Watches. Can you talk to us a little bit about how you got into watches? Like this is uh, So Andrew and I, we, are, we work very hard in watches. Yeah. <laughs> but we but we don't really have any sort of professional experience in watches. Neither one of us. Neither one of us have any right. professional experience. We you know, we just loved watches and so we started a show and and then we met another guy and he was like want to be part of my website and we're like, "Yeah." And that's it, right? You've got this really rich, diverse history in watches. I'm a little bit curious about how that starts. Does it start in the same way guys like us uh, you know, start talking on a on an iPhone about watches every week or or how did you get here? Unfortunately, I think I'm a bit too old to have all the, you know, the, the podcast era and the iPhone era and the social media. And, and in many ways, that probably was the reason why I, I fell into it. Um, I was very young. I was going to, to university to be a teacher. And I, I had a very nasty car crash where I came out the window of the car. And it was one of those moments when you're sitting on the floor thinking, I'm okay. I think I'm going to be all right from this, but I, I don't want to I don't want to be boring in life. And you've got to realize how, how short and how lucky you can be, but you've got to, you've got to take a chance. So when I got out of hospital, I looked at some of the friendship groups that I've got. And one of my friends, she was brilliant. She said, go on a cruise ship and just do six months and live because you shouldn't be here, but you are go and have a good time. You're 20 years old, go and have some fun. Um, I went to the medical, I lied through the medical. I was going to be a, a teacher for very, for primary school kids, kindergarten uh, age group. And uh, that's what I went to do the job for. And they said, no, no, you need to do the adults. You need to entertain. You have this big personality, do it. So I was 20 years old, 21 years old. So I said, okay. So I flew to South Carolina, uh, got on a cruise ship, had no idea what was going on. And that first night they gave me a microphone and I'm talking to a thousand people about the things they'll do that week. Um, fast forward over a few years, wait, wait, which wait, I love. Wait, 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 wait. Yes, yes, yes. You, you, Wait, wait, wait. You interviewed to be a, a primary school educator on a cruise ship as as an as, yeah. as onboard staff. Yeah, yeah, wait, wait, yeah. You've got and, and you just they, did this whole entire story that makes no fucking sense, Mike. The, what, what what happened? Okay. Say, were you emceeing or were you like were you a, a, an agenda item on the cruise ship? 
So I went to the interview in London to interview to do the, or be in charge of the kids area. Like looking, and it would be part of my schooling. I'd come back with credits from it. That was the thought. And then after the first six months, I would carry on my schooling to be a teacher. Um, at the interview, they said, do not do the children's side of it. You have to do the entertainment side for the adults on a cruise ship. So that was... Uh, that that's, was the crazy just part. like my last job interview too. It went really <laughs> well, similarly. This is when I was 20 years old. So I'm a child. I had no idea what was going on. My ear was hanging off. I bit through my tongue. My clever, my clavicle had come through whatever. From your car accident. Recurring, yeah. From my car accident. And I had recurring nightmares that I had one arm because when I landed on the, on the ground, all I saw was an elbow and blood and I had pins and needles. So when my arm started to move, I'm screaming with with joy and laughter on the middle of this freeway. Um, so that was like, what do I do to get this out of my head? Let's go to the ocean. Yeah. Uh, and it was one of those kind of weird moments where it just all made sense. So I did the first ship uh, out of uh, Charleston. I'd never been to America. I went to Chili's. I saw a guy eat the biggest meal I've ever seen in my life, add sugar to Coca-Cola. But I got on the ship. I did the first show <laughs> and away we go. What were you anyway. doing? What were you doing on the cruise ship? You were so like an MC or a sort. So at that time, they had a, an activity, an entertainment staff. So yeah, they would do yeah. things like pool games, trivia, sure. bingo. I had, I didn't care what I do. I had just survived going through the window of a car. I'm just going to go and have a laugh. They were like, you're, you're, that, you've got a dynamic personality. We want you to be the guy that rallies the troops. 100%. And it was on a quite a fancy old cruise, cruise liner, but um, the energy kind of, Worked and I refined how I spoke. I'm from an, a lovely area of England, but there's a bit of an accent which I don't have. And I, when speaking to Americans, you have to speak in a certain way. Otherwise, it could be whatever language. It could be in Swahili. They wouldn't know what I'm saying. Mm -hmm. um, but I, I did six months. And after that first six months, which was the best of my life, I saw most of the world. I was like, I'm going to carry on and do this. And I got promoted and promoted to be in charge of the entertainment department. So you think you've got a couple of thousand people on each cruise ship and you've got a few hundred people that you look after. But I'd met a person, I met a girl, and to stay with her, I changed career directions, which could have been whatever. I mean, who knows what it could have turned into. It was fun. But I ended up falling in love with the idea of the shopping guide, which has their own TV show. They do a live promotional video, uh, talk in front of a thousand people and they would tell people where to shop ashore and what to buy. And there are some terrible things that they are promoting, such as t-shirts and hair braiding, but there was an audience for it. But they also talk about the best diamonds, Tanzanite, emeralds of the world, the greatest brands of jewelry hmm. and watches. And so hmm. I apply for that. I got the job there. It was a company that was owned by uh, LVMH, Louis Vuitton. And so it was a really wonderful pedigree of luxury and, and, and promotion and selling and marketing. And I Were, I were you doing infomercials? Was that, is that what I'm... Imagine, imagine an infomercial, but you are every day changing it. So think of QVC, Yeah. Uh, but instead of trying to push it there, you are pushing people to go ashore and where to shop ashore. Oh, so you're doing so those presentations could, on a ship. Yeah. Okay, and precisely. so what you do yeah. from the ship... You would do it on a TV channel. You'd be in their room in terms of the TV channel mm -hmm. and also the live presentation, which would excite people to shop. I did it for less than a year. And the girl that I went, I, I, met, I met, I moved to America for. And when she and I weren't, shall we say, probably compatible on land after being on, on sea, what was quite apparent was... <laughs> That'll happen, yeah. Yeah. What was quite apparent was that this, this love for watches and where I fell into, which was Michigan was a place that I should give a go. I should really give it a good go because it was 2008 at that point and the world was coming to an end financially. Yeah. And so I had a choice of 
stay in America with this little bit of momentum that I've got within the watch industry. And I'll explain that in a second. We'll go back to England and start again with my tail between my legs. I was asked to join a very, very small brand called Ernst Benz. Um, they oh, yeah. are owned. Yeah, you know, so Lenny is one of the greatest um, watch aficionados I've ever listened to in my life. And I knew him and his brand very, very early on. And when I moved to America, Ernst Benz was very, very small. This still, relationship still kind of broke down. very small, right? Of, of course. But bigger, at one point bigger. We, well, I... At one point, a couple of years after this particular point, part of the journey, we made it quite massive, actually, and in relatively speaking. But it was because, and this is just the, the God's honest truth of it, we should not have done what we did in 2008. Uh, personally, it was a bit tough for me. Lenny had all this passion and ambition. He was new to owning this brand, and we went for it. And so we went to the Caribbean, we went to Barney's, John Varvados, these independent stores, and I learned how to sell and promote through the worst time in the world where nobody wanted you, and we did it and people wanted it. And so it was a really wonderful footing for me to learn the good, the bad, the independent, the, but also mixing with the big boys in some of these big stores. And it was wonderful. And I'll always thank Lenny and his family for that. But how much, how much of that, capa- that, that capability came from selling that LVMH portfolio of watches, which are all luxury and in an environment where people are already spending a bucket of money? So the LVMH side of it was they owned a part of this company called Onboard Media. Mm -hmm. So the good habits that LVMH have, they didn't really have to push on Onboard Media, the LVMH group. It was the best brands within the stores that were promoted on that particular program. So you got LVMH money to sell whatever you wanted. (laughs) Kind (laughs) of, but it was LVMH backing to go into the Caribbean to find the best stores who could promote good service and have, you know, these customers that will go into Jamaica or the Bahamas, they have no idea where to shop. So we give them a guarantee mm-hmm. and we show them that if you buy here, you, you buy with confidence and we've got you, which is, you know, when you go to a foreign land or somewhere new, you you, you need to be trusting something or somebody. Yeah. And so that was in the end me, but it, it did, it did give me the backing, it gave, you know, the, the backbone to be able to work into any environment and feel like I could talk about anything because you can do hair braiding or watches or diamonds. I can talk to a, a company owner or of multiple stores. I can talk to a different brand representative and understand what they might need. I could do a sales pitch to one person in front of me, or if there's a presentation or a chance to talk to a thousand or more mm-hmm. live, do it. Let's go for it. Um, but that, that, so yeah, it stood me in good stead for Ernst Benz for EB. And then about, three and a half years in, I was in Basel and I saw the English brothers who owned Bramon. They were in the Swiss hotel, which was the heart and soul of Basel at the time where everyone mm, stood yeah. and drank before and after. It was, it's, if you've ever been, it was a wonderful buzz, especially in those early part of uh, 2010 onwards, uh, seven Be- to 10. Before just, this just current, before, before watches became what they are today. Right. So sort of hundred percent. Yeah. But you wouldn't, <laughs> but you wouldn't have known it when you're in the Swiss hotel and, you know, one of my favorite points just before I met Nick and Giles, actually, that same night, I'm sitting there with Lenny and I've got this moon phase watch on, which is a value. It's a lovely, lovely movement. It's a 47 millimeter moon phase watch. And I get a tap on the shoulder and it's Gerard Genta. And uh, and he goes, I like I like your watch. And I says, well, thank you very much. Well, I like all that you've ever done. So you, knew who, you knew who it was immediately. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. And he goes, I, I, I make the Mickey. And I said, oh, he's referencing the Mickey Mouse watch. I'm like, 
I know what you made. <laughs> but he's, he asked, he asked to hold my, you know, $5,000 uh, moon phase watch with only a few hundred had ever been made. And he's just like, oh, and he's seen the movement. And I'm like, this is magic. Because yeah. if someone like that, who's built history, could then grab something so new and unknown, why can't I do that? Why can't I do that with any part of my life and give, and give myself a chance to learn as well? That's such a beautiful story. Yeah. For just like oh. just to think of this this icon in the world still so the icon, right? He's the Michael Jordan of watches. The, but I still think so. so in love with the things, right? Yeah. To see something he didn't make, he has no interest in, but to be interested in it. That's a super beautiful thought. Yeah. I like that. Yeah, a lot. I got I have some tingles down the back yeah. of my neck just thinking of that and That's seeing so how you cool. react. Like, it's, it's good. That's you awesome. learn a lot from, from those big executives or those big uh, powerful figures or voices because they are still just people. Like I've seen over time people like Christophe Claret, who you know is a genius with the movements, and I've seen him jive 1950s, 60s sock hop, the best dancing I've ever seen. And he's a small, unassuming man. <laughs> but you're like, that guy can that guy can dance. So we're all just people. You just gotta yeah. find the right people to suit you. But, yeah. but back to, to that point, I was in the Swiss Hotel. Nick and Giles were there. I went over to them and just said, Nick and I'm Giles, an Englishman living in Nick a... and Giles, England, uh, English, uh, founders of Bremont Watches. Mm -hmm. Thank you. Yeah, they, they, they are brilliant. They're brothers. Um, they had a wonderful... They've, they've done wonderful things. But at that point, they were still very raw. And, 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 it was, just and it's a their... pretty small company in 2010 too, right? We know Bremont in a certain oh, way oh, yeah. today. But even just five, six years ago, Braemont's still kind of like, what is this company? Mm -hmm. uh, well, so in that, 2010, that was, it's pretty early days. Very much so. And they weren't in the Basel Fair. They were renting uh, a conference room in the Swiss Hotel. So they right. came down into the lobby. Slumming it. <laughs> Slumming it, basically. Uh, but I went up to them. I just read their, their, their family story in, I think, IW Magazine or Watch Time. And I just said, I'm English. <coughs> I love what you're doing congratulations. I was a big believer that it's not a Swiss industry. I think it's the world. And I was very much passionate to say, well, can you help me in introduce me to some people in the UK for Ernst Benz? And maybe I can introduce you to some people in the US for Bremont. And it ended up being a little moment where there was a spark. We just took, them, took the piss out of each other like English people do. And I was like, I want to see you some more. I'd love to talk to you some more. And then they got in contact with me on early, early day Facebook when it wasn't so weird to do so, but we, we chatted through the early <laughs> days of social media and Nick said, we would love to chat with you. Can you come to England uh, and let's have a beer? I was already going home to see my family. Did he say so have a beer him. or have a pint? I imagine him saying, let's have a pint. I think it was just a drink because he was, it was a gin Dang and tonic it. drink about then. Oh, I was, wow, yeah. That's too bad. That's a missed I, opportunity. When he comes up north, I would I would say a pint because I'm from <laughs> a little bit rough around here. He's from Henley on Thames, which is very very lovely. Mm. Oh, fair um, enough. Fair but, enough. But I but I met him. He was late, uh, which I always I'll never forget because he was late for the rest of my career with him as well. But <laughs> I fell in love with, and it sounds silly to say love with a man in in this particular way, but I did in in the energy, the passion, the story, the 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 ambition to tell a story which no one really would care for. And again, those juices started flowing like I did when I first started with Ernst Benz through bad circumstances. But now I had a little bit of momentum, maybe some, 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 some game. Some uh, cachet, and, some cachet. and some social capital. And yeah. 
Yeah, a little bit, I think. But in all honesty, at that point as well, I didn't really know too many about too much about the American market because for Ernst Benz through 08, I'd kind of grown it in the Caribbean. Uh, the Caribbean was a huge, huge part of what I'd known from cruise ships. It led on to so much, but I did start to learn a few of the bigger players in the in the US, such as London Jewelers or uh, Topper Jewelers out in California. You know, you learn some of these mm -hmm. names. But anyway, that beer went so well that he says, would you work for us? And I says, I don't know what to do right now because I've, you know, I'm in America and these guys. And he says, well, give us six months and let's see what it turns into. Because there was already thoughts in my head that maybe I should come back to England anyway. And there was a couple of brands circling. And I said, right, I'll give you. So yeah, let's do six months. And it was eight years later that I decided to resign uh, through having a baby and just traveling too much. But that one minute of meeting them in the Swiss hotel to the, that one beer that he was late to gave me the biggest part of my life uh, professionally. Um, I got to go to every part of America uh, and every part of the world and be an English guy in the US, being able to, I hope, speak to an American with an accent, yes, but I, I think we speak differently, especially in sales. I think there's mm. a different matter of factness about how we, we communicate over in the US. Sure. And I'm, yeah. I, I've, always, I've always kind of, uh, describe myself a little bit as a vampire. I would never be that guy that would walk into a store or over your threshold unless I was invited. And I would say, when I'm in, then I'm not going anywhere because I want you to learn. And I just wanted everyone to know that this isn't me trying to sell you, but I would educate you. And if you said, great, not for us, but at least you knew it and you gave me time, great. But more often than not, the way that that story was set and the way that I hopefully saw this industry they go, all right, he believes in it this much. There's passion there. There's people listening to it. Let's give it a go. And it became quite massive. We opened about 60, 60 points of sale in the US and the, and the Caribbean. And uh, it became just a, a, a slightly smaller market than the UK, but we were pushing it for many, many years. And uh, it, it just it, it just kind of, yeah, it, it made me. Vermont made me. Mm. Um, and like I said, then you, you meet somebody. Um, and I met my now wife and you realize that for all those years, you are a selfish man. And I say selfish in the nicest way because there's no room for anything else or anyone else. Because when you're saying about being in the watch industry, especially when you're growing a brand or you're part of an independent scene, you are everything. You are the voice, you are marketing, you are social, you are the salesperson, but you also are the brand. You are, yeah. You are, yeah. Yeah. You have to, you have to bring it into to yourself. And yeah, people would say, are you part of the family? I'm like, no, but I love them. Like I believe in them. I'm here. For and them. so yeah. that, yeah, yeah, exactly. I will tell their story because, <laughs> you know, they say they speak it differently in the UK and they might do to the US and I would bring them over for big events and it would be perfect, but you have to set the scene well and put good, good practices into place and good habits. And yeah, it was magic. And it was, I, 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 I was a very, very emotional man when I decided to leave, but I knew that I couldn't be a good boyfriend, fiance, husband, father, with all the time I'd given a watch band. And so I left and I'd moved to Texas uh, to actually work within retail. I was pulled back into the industry with another brand, which wasn't great. Cause you kind of, when you're with one brand for so long, you work in a certain way, you work in a, you know, your rhythm. And especially when you do so much, when other bigger brands come along, you, you, and this is just me personally, I couldn't just be towing the, the corporate line. I couldn't be a, yes, sir, please buy 20 of these. I'll see you next week. For me, I wanted to sell and and you know evoke emotion and get people involved. And some of these <clears throat> other brands that wanted me, it, or and I tried, it just wasn't a fit. You had to, I, I had to find something that meant something to me. 
Anyway, I was pulled back to Bramon and I was in a different role. They asked me if I'd do PR, marketing and events. And it was great. It was, it was setting up for something really magical. And as we'd spent a lot of money for all these events, COVID happened. And, you know, the rug got pulled from underneath us and some things had to change and I had to go. So I left. Um, and at that point, I was like, F watches. I'm, I'm done. My whole life has been making other people's stories matter. And I think the enthusiasm had gone and we had these little kids and I just wanted to do that. And so I did an about face. I, I did tech through COVID and it was the best thing I could have ever done because it, it managed to let me sit back and help and, and, and kind of understand what we wanted to be a little bit more within myself than just a watch guy. And so obviously the, the, the part after that is where this whole Zodiac story kind of started is uh, after COVID and tech and uh, you know, deciding what the next move should be, I was, uh, I was asked by Wolf or Watchwinders to move to the UK and look after Europe for them, which is amazing. Uh, I'd never thought about apparel or, or luxury side of that, but it was really interesting. The, uh, Simon, who owns it, is incredible. Michael, who runs it, is a different level of business person, which you wouldn't understand and unless you meet him and how he is with numbers. It's fantastic. Um, but it, when it we is moved like to the, UK, the only watch storage solution that anybody knows the brand, right? It is the yeah. only watch storage solution that has a recognizable name. Yeah. Wolf Watchwinders are it. Yeah. And they've got proper patents. So no one can do what they do because they count the turns. Nobody can do the uh, the cuffs because they've got that all patented down. And even uh, the cushion clothes to the different ways that they do their levers. It's a very, very impressive operation. And I mean, well, I've got a ton of the boxes and the winders and I've been a fan of them for years. But when you go into the factory and you see how big it can be or how big it is, it's quite mind blowing, actually. Um, but because I, we just moved to the UK, it was a massive thing after COVID. I don't know if you feel the same way. Some of us um, dealt with it differently. I, I was okay. I got COVID pretty bad, but coming out of it, I was ready to go. But moving to the UK for my wife and for my daughter, it was a massive, massive step, maybe a little too hard uh, mm. for us all to be me going straight out onto the road. And we had to wall, 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 put the brakes on a tiny bit of what the plan was. And that was bad because I couldn't do what I've always done. I couldn't be the person that I did before with Brahman. And it was, it was hard, but you have to, you know, there's the PTSD kind of element after COVID. And after doing that and then an international move and then straight into being on the road three weeks of the month, it was hard. And well, so it's, it's an identity decided, crisis. I mean, coming out of COVID where you're like trying to figure out who you are again against having yeah. a kid suddenly and you're in a familiar space, but you don't get to be that same person. That's a, that's a big transition. And, and, and a huge career change yeah. to, to boot. It was, but I think it was also, you know, they were very excited to talk and I was like, oh, it's luxury, but it's not watches. I don't have to be that watch person again. And I think for me, the pivot was was different as well. And what it, what it did though, is it touched some of the same areas and the people that I loved and then knew and, and it ended up being quite lovely because some people were asking questions for consultancy help. And so when it was getting to a point where I felt like I couldn't give Wolf what, what they, they deserved, because of how the family were and how they were not slowing down or not enjoying being in the UK. And that's not a slight in the country. It just, it was after COVID, we all had to find our own rhythm and it was difficult, but I started to consult uh, with about four or five different brands and there were watch brands, there were micro brands and there was no pressure. And it was talking about the basics of, you know, where to go, how to talk, what's social, um, who do you know, how can we help us? 
should they, should we do a retail uh, sale or should we just do it online and I was like this is this is great this is really interesting and some of the brands that I was talking to were really really for me exciting historic or new there was there was a lot out there and I bought a Zodiac watch um, from Topper Jewelers in California. They did this Pepsi GMT, um, which is beautiful, called the Crystal. It's a really good watch. And it's the first watch I've ever bought for retail. But I wanted to support Topper. What? So this is like 2020, the first watch you've ever bought at retail. Well, if you think about like the first watch you have as a Fossil or you have your Nike watch or a Flickslack, when I was my first proper watch was a Tag Heuer Carrera. And I got it at a massive discount because I was working in the business. Yeah. But then with Braman, you know, I'd work for watches sometimes instead of bonuses. And, you know, you really look at, you know, I was a watch guy. I wanted to get watches, but you use the people that you knew in the nicest way. And everyone looks after each other. But when it came to that watch and doing things right for Rob, uh, he's a great retailer. I said, I love this watch. You've been a brilliant friend to me. Can I buy it? And And he offered a discount. And I was like, no, I just want to buy it. And I did it and I fell in love with that because I heard all the stuff about Zodiac and we'll get into a little bit about what the world might think of Zodiac. I personally only know two or three points at that point. And so I got that watch. I loved it. I put it on social media and Zodiac reached out to me and they asked if we could chat. And I was like, oh, crap. Okay, let's have a chat. And that was the start of everything that we're talking about going forward and uh, how I became brand director from buying that one watch at full retail, someone saw on social media, again, like Nick and Giles, it was that social connection in this this new world. But TJ McKnight is the guy who was tasked by Fossil to bring the brand back and he's building this team and he sees someone like me as, a, as an ingredient that could help them. And it was, it's been, we can go into it more and more, but that particular point, it was fantastic. Well, well what, that's, that's, that's perfect. And, and you know what? So here we are, here we are, 45 minutes into a show, uh, as, as discussed, uh, I, uh, well, as discussed offline, cause it won't make the show, uh, we, we <laughs> y- you've had, a, you've had, um, about, f- you know, 35 minutes now to tell your story. And we, Andrew and I have been, have been sort of jaws down listening to you. This is just, we haven't given you the finish the thought motion at all. There's been no finish the thought motion. This is, uh, I think for me, this is a really, uh, lovely story and I think it's been transfixing and I, I think we could go all night. Probably we won't. I promise you guys at home, we're, we're going to move (laughs) this along. Um, because we've just, we've just now in the last minute of the show kind of touched the surface of, what we're probably really here uh, more than anything to talk about, which is Zodiac. Yeah. So, so Zodiac is a brand. You, I'm sure you've got your talking points and you've got your your you know you, you don't have a list or anything or any check boxes, but you know no. you've got a so you're a guy, you're a storyteller, you're you're an engager, you're someone who who engages people professionally for the last you, you know 25 30 years is my guess. Um, this is what you do. You're very good at it. And so I want to I want to sort of, if I can, disrupt your flow a little bit. Um, yeah, absolutely. But, but Please I'll, do. But I'll do that by way of telling you what I think Zodiac is, and and then mm-hmm. I'd like you to, I, uh, you know, I, I think what I'd like you to do is come back and tell me tell me what I've missed or or what I've got right. So Zodiac, really mm-hmm. really amazing late nineteenth century watch brand, started off making fantastic, very slim pocket watches in the 50s you've got rolex 
You've got Doxa. You've got a couple of companies that are making dive watches. Zodiac, meanwhile, right there. So 1953, I think, arguably speaking, if not if not actually speaking, produces the first commercially uh, available dive watch in 1953 with the Seawolf. Uh, this is a company that has uh, quietly, qu- more quietly than many brands, revolutionized a lot of what we know about watches. So in terms yeah. of shockproof technologies, <clears throat> um, just in terms of the way they've approached watches, one of the very first eight-day movements, you know, mm-hmm. we talk, we've talked about the mm-hmm. Panerai eight-day movements um, on the show before. I don't think we've ever talked about Zodiac in this context. But this is a brand that's just, you know, sort of based in the local uh, you, you know, the w- doing one of floating hands doing like innovative, creative things. This is a company that's just there every step of the way to, you know, in the early part of the 21st century being purchased by uh, Fossil and, and now being, I think, in many respects, one of the flagship brands of the Fossil, like the legit side of the Fossil watch section. Um what is it about Zodiac, a brand that doesn't get the same type of play as uh, uh, even perhaps in some respects a Doxa, I, I think some days, mm-hmm. uh, maybe not, maybe not Rolex, but, but then you hear, you're like, oh, Zodiac. Oh, that's right. Zodiac. What is it? So, so obviously a bit of a comeback tour for Zodiac, I think right now. And yep. there's, there's no question that, that Zodiac is bigger today than they were five years ago. Uh, 10 years ago, certainly. What is it about Zodiac historically that that tickles people and um, makes them today feel like this is this is one of the it brands? Because I that's how I feel. And and mm-hmm. I don't mean to speak for anybody else. I do think Zodiac is one of the it brands. What, what are the things in this story that we're missing? I think you've done a really good job there. Uh, the one thing that I think you missed firstly is we are, we are 140 years old this year, and we were started by a family called the Calame family. Very, very old uh, Swiss, Swiss watch, Swiss clocks, uh, centric family. And when the brand started in 1882, it was named after them. It was registered as Zodiac uh, early in the 1900s because it was easy to say, it had something to do with the moon and the stars and the, how we all have our Zodiac signs. It was very, very romantic. But what you did is what a lot of people do. They were very early, they had slim pocket watches, they did railroad watches. And then in the 50s, they have the Seawolf. Well, for me, it's that 70 years that some people miss. The innovation of moon phase, power reserve, uh, being uh, those, those, those watches that everybody had at the same time when it was very white labeled as well. But we were in La Locke with the same region as every single other major watch brand at the time, making watches for the entire world with the biggest part of its distribution being in America. But we were at one point, and I still haven't got a concrete number, but we were making incredible amounts of watches. But it was really when, and you were bang on right to say in 1953, to be the first commercially available dive watch in the world to come out alongside Glycine and Blancpain and before Rolex at the Basel Fair. But it was the innovation that got it going, being deeper, being able to go deeper, uh, a new type of case back, a very, very uh, distinct bezel. And there was also color and style and the, the shark tooth hands. And it ended up pushing the brand in a direction that I don't know if the Calame family ever understood because it was rewarded with respect by not only commercial divers, but also militaries from around the world, mm-hmm. including the US Navy. And so for 20 years, that became a massive, massive impetus for Zodiac. 
and it pushed us to be the watch for the military, especially for the US. And we were sold in the PX alongside some of the most famous brands in the world that were there. And we are still available today in the PX, uh, in the, um, the naval bases across North America, as Super Seawolf is. But that watch was a defining part of watch history. And I do think that the trajectory of what happened then was quite in tune with how Zodiac might be known today. You talked about the astrographic and the, the mystery dials or being one of the first electronic watches that are out there and really in, in being bold when it the, came the to the first, quartz crisis. The first chronometer-grade LCD yeah, watch, right? right? Just innovators. 100%. And also you look at the, the astrograph. I've got one in my hand that's terrible for a podcast, but just to see the difference in how that dial floats. <laughs> and then Every, Everybody will know exactly what you're talking about. 100%. But we <laughs> didn't go to the moon, but we made the astrographic or the orbiter. Or in the 60s, we came out with manta ray cases that kind of, instead of doing slim, thin watches for the gentleman, we did it with a crazy manta uh, style case that was for men and for women. And so the, the innovations in how watches were built by Zodiac, for me, were in keeping with what we're now doing. Because in the 80s, it was sold. And it was the first time that the Calame family didn't have the brand. And over the, the next 10 years, it was mishandled, but never went out of business. Then it was owned by the people who were distributing and uh, very, very tight with the Tag Heuer family, which is why some of the 90s watches have a Tag Heuer link kind of look. Yeah. There was some mm -hmm. very, sure. very similar aesthetics in the 90s. Sure. And in 2001, Fossil Group did buy the brand for not very much money. And they came out with some very fossil looking Zodiacs, which, and I say that lovingly with fashion and color and a bit big and a bit plasticky, but to Fossil's credit, they then said no, and they pulled it back. And it didn't go out of business again. It didn't go, it didn't just go away, but they picked and chose some of the, mo the models that suited Fossil's palette. And mm -hmm. they could also tell a story. And then they got some of the people involved and it came to the point where TJ, who asked me to join Zodiac, um, asked him to, to steer it. And what he did brilliantly is he went to the watch buying public. And for some of the people that we know, such as Worn and Wound, Hadinki, uh, Ariel Adams from a blog to watch, people that have a voice and are connected. And it, it made a difference because what they said to, to TJ and to Zodiac is invest in the movement, invest in traditional design, and then you will see this brand come out. And so they came out with the Super Seawolf which is not the Seawolf anymore, but they lost the name, the Seawolf, uh, sea when it was mismanaging and mishandling its trademarks. And it was gobbled up by somebody else, starting with B. Uh, but the Super Seawolf <laughs> came out in a true, in a true reflection in, in, in terms of how it was designed before, but bolder colors. And then it introduced an STP movement, which is a, a, a movement house that Fossil acquired. So it can be powered by us, look like us, hark back to where it's from, and then also, because it's owned by who they're owned by, they could control the price. Here's where it gets a bit crazy, where we can all get a little bit muddled about what is Zodiac now. They did a ton of these limited editions of color and style and interpretations of the past. And it was great. Buzz everywhere. Every three months is a bit of buzz. Oh, I love that watch. It's orange. It's blue. It's the golf colorway. But it would go away and, oh, we'll wait for the next one. And so that happened for a few years. And it got to the point where last year we made 6,000 watches and we sold every single one of them, which is great. We're a micro brand in many ways. But you think about the heyday of where Zodiac was and how many it made and how important it was to the watch industry. We needed to scale and be better and bigger and we have to invest more in STP. So what I have been tasked to do is to give that direction to the brand alongside the team. 
So we've got this core of watches, which is Seawolf, uh, Super Seawolf heavy through the, the, the 53 skin, which is traditional to what you saw, the compression, the pro diver, and then you bring in Olympus. You are going to see some other models and materials going forward. But now we can scale up the core. We can then keep the fun going with the limited editions, but we have a base, we have anchors. We have someone like yourselves to go, I want to see it at my local retailer, or I want to, I trust the guys on one and one I know it's going to be a good watch because they say it, but we're not going to run out of watches. And so when I talk to these uh, consumers at wind up, I think it's important that we listen to them still. So I had two important questions to ask you, and I'm really encouraged that you kind of touched on them almost perfectly. In because it's it, it shows that not only are they universal questions and kind of wonders about Zodiac, but that mm-hmm. you, the guy, are aware of it. <laughs> 100%. So my first question was, how is Zodiac balancing the heritage of Zodiac? Which is... You know, and I think there's a conflict in heritage, right? It's like it's being true to the designs of the past, but for a brand like Zodiac, that the heritage has been innovation. Mm -hmm. There's a struggle there, right? How do we continue to innovate but remain true to this design language, right? So how are you balancing that against continuing innovation? Break. Next question was... Oh, two. Two parts. No, no, no. I mean, the two-parter is... Objection. Objection compound. It's, it's a compound question. I have two questions. <laughs> They're unrelated, but I have to ask them both because you answered them both. We'll start with the first one and then I will I will I will touch on the second one. <laughs> Jesus Christ. I'm uncompounding it. I'm decompounding my question. That balance of heritage and legacy against innovation. I mean, well, how is that? What's what's working there in your head? Okay, so hold your question and I'll provide some context. So uh, I've now been to two wind up events. And there are a number of micro brands. Obviously, we have companies like Notice, who we're huge fans of. We've got, uh, you, you know, Christopher Ward shows up at these things. We've got a number of heritage brands, especially in the last handful of windups that have shown up. Um, mm-hmm. I, I think Loco does a really good job at showing up and bringing a catalog. In, in, in you know, Seiko does a great job. But but really, what we're seeing in, in, in both of those cases, Loco and in Seiko, you're seeing the catalog of modern. Uh, the the current run catalog, I think that that Zodiac does something different than any other brand I've seen at this this style of event, which is that that Zodiac travels with, I think, what I'd call a, a, a museum. Right, Zodiac has a traveling museum. So when when Zodiac shows up at Wind Up, it, it's Zodiac's watches. Like these are the watches we sell, and also. Hi. These are the. This is what we came. From. Look at this cool fucking shit that should be in a museum. That and, and I will. I will never forget me picking up a watch. <laughs> you let him do that from the from the fifties and putting it on my wrist and saying, "Is this okay?" And you saying to me, Mike, "Well, you've already done it." <laughs> nobody else has thought it was okay. But here so you are it, it, with that context, right? Zodiac is a brand that is is perhaps maybe more sort of 
eager to tell its history than a lot of the other brands that that you 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 said it so I'll say it uh Zodiac feels like a micro brand today there's nobody I else do. in this space that has the the ability to do that and, and certainly and the ass to actually keep it going and the ass to keep it going so in that context and with respect to Andrew's question what's what's there so to to the point first about the the show and the traveling museum when I first started the Zodiac, um, I asked to stay in San Francisco. I wanted to go to the windup and meet and meet everybody. So I had just looked through all of the office. I'd looked through everything that had been bought uh, from Chrono24 or eBay or all the different consumer collector sites. And we have a brilliant, brilliant guy within our office who tries to find watches that are rare and he, he wants them for a museum for the future. I picked up eight of them and I said, I'm taking them to San Francisco. We need to tie the story together. <laughs> These are my and he goes, yeah, basically, yeah. <laughs> and the, uh, the guy said, can I, yeah, okay, he's gone. <laughs> but because we had this new POS. Yeah, well, I also thought it was the right thing to do. So I did it. We had this new uh, point of sale and I wanted it to, to have what's housed, housing a core collection and what Zodiac is. But I also wanted someone like you guys to come up and say, yeah, Zodiac, colorful, great, limited editions. Nice, see ya. And I wanted to go, hold on, what do you know? And it's a case of, this is where the Seawolf started, but also look at these from the 20s, 30s or 40s, or let me tell you a little bit about the Calame family. And if you pick up this modern iteration or this brand new Skin 53, let me show you the design and how we're trying to keep these stories going. Yes, there could also be this version that's green or watermelon, but if you look at the hands, the bezel, the case, and then also see how we're, we're respecting that aesthetic with a movement that's ours that we're backing up we're getting better all the time then we can look at innovation and craftsmanship um, because we can't even though we're owned by such a massive company we cannot just blow the money out of the water because we, we do a watch which starts at 895 and nothing really goes over two thousand dollars so every single success we have in terms of a model for me going forward must be innovative must push the needle must make us better and have someone in the watch community go, actually, they're doing that right. Because it's the people who go to the vintage side of the table like you, Everett, and pick up something from the 50s or 60s and go, this was what I know Zodiac is. I want their eyes to go to the website or down the table or in a showcase and go, they're all right now. You know, they, they get it. Mm. But I think we have to respect where we're from. And I don't know if we didn't do that, but I also think that people have short memories. Mm. So they can look at the 80s, the 90s or the early 2000s and that's what they know of it. Or they've got bullet points to, to your point as in, it's old, it did a cool dive watch, it didn't have the floaty hand thing, and then there's a lot to fill in, right? Mm -hmm. And so for me, the more and more we can tell that within our website, and podcasts, and social media, more than anything over a showcase or one-on-one, -on -one, I think we're gonna be able to tell the story organically and well, or at least do it to the point where we've got this amount of watches and we can grow, and they'll come on a journey with us. So full circle, I think we just have to look to the past and all the things bring, that made it right bring them and, and move us, move, move ourselves forward and be respectful to it. So the goal, as I'm understanding it, is to celebrate the heritage and the legacy. I'm not, saying, I'm not saying you're not going to innovate, right? Because yeah. that's not at all what I'm trying to imply here. But the goal going forward is to grab the legacy that already exists. We're not going to see new brands. I guess is maybe where I can go. We're not going to see new, not new brands. We're not going to see new models or new iter. We're, we're going to see thought. what we know and love 
and celebration of the legacy. Yep. Okay. But also I think when I, I just held up to the, the camera, we're doing this on Zoom, I held up the Pro Diver, the new titanium one. It was a First time teaser. we've done titanium. I, oh yeah. Yeah. But this kid, this one just this yeah, is a this titanium. Is a... Fantastic. Full titanium case bracelet, grade two titanium, uh, ISIS in, in watermelon. In, in, in watermelon. Because yeah, why not? And that actually is Which a perfect is lead into my next question is in the but, last. But well, no, please. Let me finish that yeah. thought because the, if we just kept on regurgitating the past, we wouldn't be true to the innovation going forward. So mm -hmm. this is a brand new model, the Pro Diver. Bigger, a little different in terms of aesthetic and hands, but still it's, felt like a It's much bigger, right? It's like 44. This is 42. 42. 42. Okay. The rest of the collection is with 39 or 40. But you will see, instead of us having a cake and a party saying, we are 140 years old, look at us. We have to look at ourselves as custodians for this brand. Mm -hmm. And so what we're doing this year is kind of flexing in the nicest possible way where we can do titanium. Yeah, and yeah, Des and Troy, you know, we're right there. But uh, we've got another case material. We have a new dial material later this year. So every month or two, you will see us pushing ourselves to be better with an aesthetic that's correct from the past that you will then see in the future because we know what's coming out all of next year as well. Some bloody brilliant watches, which kind of move us forward innovation-wise. Custodian for the brand is one of the most beautiful things I've ever heard somebody say. So, so you you know, we, we talked... Dude, about, I love you. So, so one of our... <laughs> so I think Andrew and I have, uh, over the course of the last four years, become British watch... Uh, uh, fans, w without realizing it, you, you know, I, I think y'all yeah, got us. I, I think, I, I think I can speak for Andrew in saying our favorite brand, perhaps as a show, is uh, Christopher Ward. Christopher Ward, right. I think, is probably mm -hmm. our. That's my maybe my favorite watch brand. It's and right I, up there, yeah. And, and and I think just in terms of the show and and what we do here, I, we love. So Mike France, obviously someone you're familiar with. Um, oh yeah. Just I just love his spirit for the the way he's doing what he's doing with that brand. Different, you know, Zodiac obviously a much different thing. Um, but I, I and, and Zodiac, obviously not a British brand at all. But I think my point is well, not yet. He has to say my, that's right. <laughs> my point is, I think you're approaching it in this way that I now currently today recognize fairly or unfairly as as uh, perhaps a British approach to this. And maybe and I hope I'm not offend, offending you when I say this. I think the no, way definitely. you're approaching this brand similar to perhaps Bremont, similar to oh, perhaps yeah. Christopher Ward. I think that there is this very natural balance that gets struck between um, whimsical, whimsical mm -hmm. and serious. It, it, and I actually, and not to bring this back to Christopher Ward, uh, but I'm going to for a second. I, I think Christopher Ward does this very, very powerful thing with the way they design cases and the way they present those cases in terms of dials. And, and I've always been enamored by that. I think Zodiac's doing something really similar, which is not to say that you're, you're designing watches or whatever. Uh, but the way you talk about the approach, the way you've discussed Zodiac's approach to watches makes me feel like this is got that same spirit that I attribute to you know, the brands watch industry, the British yeah. watch industry. Do you think that there's something there? I I, I don't know if you're how you're affecting Zodiac's uh, design decisions, or if at all. Um, but do you think Nothing. there's something there? Is there a spirit of British uh, 
uh, salesmanship and design that you think is coming through that I'm that I'm picking up on here? I think maybe just because of the narrative that you've probably heard with me over the last couple of months, it, it, you'll hear me tell a story maybe differently to what an American or a Swiss guy would. The lovely thing about Zodiac is that we have, obviously the offices globally are in Dallas, Texas. The watches are built in Switzerland. We've invested in STP and Antima where they're put together and built. But we've got outside eyes looking at the design from around the world and have an American fashion side to the fun of how we can design these watches. Sure, you've got an American an American audience, a Swiss yes. a Swiss manufacturer in yeah. history, uh, a, a British a British salesman and marketer, uh, right. very international company. My point is is that. Don from Vertex, Giles from Schofield, Nick and Giles from Bremont. Yeah. Uh, yes, uh, the guys from from Christopher Ward. Or then you start moving over to the way that Sin or Nomos or Clashute or Langer. You know, I truly believe that this is an international industry. It's not Swiss, but for the for the truth of the matter, these great old ladies, most of them are in that little country called Switzerland. So I think we have to interpret what they did right. So here's what. Um, we had a little break in between all the recordings. And I talked to Andrew a little bit about where I see kind of the kinship about how I sell to maybe what Zodiac has always been. So I did another podcast and I got reached out to on one of the Zodiac fan forums on Facebook by a guy called Soren. And he is the son of a distributor in Denmark who worked for the Calame family for 30 years. Mm. And he talked about uh, seeing his dad go out on the road, you know, every week coming back in the, you know, his, his work clothes and uh, the watches he'd have and the traveling salesman's documents and seeing the different uh, points of sale that was created to put the watches on. Probably and a familiar, said, I, a familiar story for you. Oh, it resonated in every single fiber of my being that the Zodiac was massive. Like I saw pictures of this Soren guy with his dad in the factory in Switzerland with the Calamays, you know, and all the watches and dozens and dozens of watchmakers. And Denmark was a small, is a small, small watch market. Tiny place. Denmark is a tiny place. You think about that in every single massive market or important market like Germany, Italy, Spain. There are Zodiacs everywhere in every corner of of the world. And so what we are doing now, it comes back to that word, Andrew, custodianship, that we have to guide it the right way. And that is not from a Swiss angle. We have to be precise and delicate and true to what that industry is, but we have to look globally because you can find these old Middle Eastern dials or limited editions that we did in America with Harley Davidson or Dr. Pepper or some of the more traditional dials that would only be sold in Denmark because that's how they bought. And so we have to be careful of this narrative of being this country or that aesthetic because the whole world buys the same sub or the same Speedy or the same Zodiac Super Seawolf. We just have to tell our story the right way to honor it and also where it's going. That's off the soapbox, but that's 100% how I feel. Well, well so your soapbox includes, I, I think, not not to criticize you here, uh, Mike, but I think your soapbox includes the, the very uh, serious aspects, but it ignores what I think is perhaps the most notable uh, characteristic of of Zodiac today, which is the whimsy. How, how does that factor in? Yeah, and I, I apologize if it come come across. No, that way. you, you should that, apologize, well, and we accept your apology, but carry on. Only barely, <laughs> though. <laughs> the the color, the fun, the bezels, the style, the hands that are just different will always be there. And in my opinion, if you shout about them, 
you're just shouting into the wind because you can see it. Every watch person or every person who just likes a style or aesthetic, they go, I love Zodiac style. I love their colors. They do it great. But uh, what I think we've done to a, to a detriment in some ways is that we've talked about that so much or shouted about that so much that we've missed the watch side of it. And you guys speak fun about watches, but also if there's a hand or a dial that doesn't represent the brand truly, you should call them out. You should tell them that they, they're not doing it right. But I think what we've got to do is kind of get that balance right. But the colors, I mean, well, I'll come, if you don't mind, I'll come on next year and I'll show you all the new stuff that's coming next year. And you'll be like, you don't need to say a word. That's bloody loud. So, like, so that's <laughs> your take is the whimsy speaks for itself. And and Truly, what people need to realize that it's not just whimsy. Please. Yeah, I, because it's we, we, we've all got either eyes or we can feel what it's like or you can see what it means to yourself. But like shoes or a belt or, or you know, your haircut, go back to the first point. But the idea <laughs> of the obviousness of how we make or color Zodiacs. Like I was in... I was like, I said, San Francisco. And this guy came up to me and goes, oh, man, I need that watch. You got to wet it. I said, what? I got to wet your watch. And he's a guy who does this thing on YouTube called wet watches. And he just takes crazy watches, throws it in water or puts it in a shower, puts it in the ocean. And I said, what? I don't know what's going on. This is very scary. Are you real? Yeah, no, but- <laughs> this is a transient man who's trying to rob you. <laughs> he, I got his 42 millimeter pro diver watermelon. And it's just nuts. He didn't see anything else on the table but color. And that's great. That's where he went to. That's his personality. That's what he does for his social. But in the same breath, someone goes, oh, I love that 40 millimeter Olympus you do with worn and wound. May I see it? And I was like, yeah, of course. No one ever asked for that. And so there are, there's an audience there of fun. But at the end of the day, we've got to find the watch that suits you. And we will, or we as the watch buying public will decide. Me and, and Zodiac as a brand, we just have to make sure there's a palette for you to choose from, be it sober or fun. We have to be respectful. So this is, again, a good segue into my last question for you, which is the balance cool. between core brands, core, I mean, core, core models, core models, yes. and limited editions. Andrew struggles with words sometimes. I don't, I don't talk good. And I'm four beers in. Give me a break, dude. <laughs> um, so core models against limited editions. Because in the last several years... I personally have seen and kind of perceived Zodiac to be a limited edition primary yeah. brand. Where no, that's, that was there's the point that three I... or four big limited editions a yeah. year. And the, the, the primaries exist there. And is that the focus? These fun, like limited edition runs or, or where's that where's the focus going in the future or is it i mean well, like does I said, it have to be focused i mean is it like hey we have yeah, our core our core models and we've got fun all the time it's a, always a party and you always can come to our house to have a quiet evening no no i'm not like i think i mentioned that before when we did that <clears> first watch <throat> in 2015 and we did the limited edition golf colorway that was the impetus to do Two three hundred of this for Hodinkee, two mm-hmm. three hundred of that for Worn and Wound, top of jewelers, and that meant there was no room for the core. Now what we built was core watches, but they got so overshadowed with the noise mm-hmm. that we couldn't fulfill um, orders for retail stores. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So when you look at the Skin Fifty Three, there are four yeah. basic models of that. The Skin Fifty Three, there's a compression version. There's about seven or eight colors in the forty millimeter compression. There were five Pro Divers. 
they sold so quickly and they weren't replenished quick enough because the limited editions were so hot mm -hmm. that we fell down in a way of like, oh, I can wait for the next Zodiac. Oh, Whereas okay. what I wanted okay. somebody to do, which is what I explained, we, we, we brought a core together. So the fun and the limiteds and the, the, the limited runs will come. What we are now going to do going forward is build more of each core model mm -hmm. so that your local retailer, if he ever wants to open or she ever wants to open, they can sell through the collection and not have empty gaps in their showcase. Yeah. My goal is maybe a bit different to some of the independents you might have seen at Windup is I think that we need retail. I think the most important part of any watch sale in many, many ways is the trust that you get from the salesperson over that counter to the yeah. person who wants to buy it. They'll the see if it the fits third, or sits. the third party who is able to to as a non as a non you know invested person say this is a I watch that them. might work for you. And it's going to sell you multiple watches because you, Mike, aren't going to sell me. Well, you could sell me maybe because we have a relationship, but you're not going to sell any of yeah. our, you know, three listeners every watch that they buy from Zodiac. Exactly. As, as promised, it's yeah. more than three, but not a lot more. <laughs> well, hello to all three of you. It's lovely to yeah. see you tonight. Um, but I think that that retail element is really important for Zodiac because if we get different storytellers or champions of the brand in a city, we don't need many retailers. But I do think we do need more. And I think that's a really important thing for a brand like us to do to grow correctly. Mm -hmm. We have room within how we build to have a margin so a retailer store can make some money. But more than anything, they I want them to trust that they can put Zodiac into the store because it's their money. And it could be a big group or an independent mom and pop. But if they put it in the store next to all these amazing brands that are out there, then we have to not let them down. We have to fulfill that collection. We have to come out with exciting things. But... At the same time, I also want to be very, very true to where we're from. So there's a, there's a balance, limited, fun, color. But more than anything, we've just got to be present. And we, we can't come and go that quickly. Mike, as we have negotiated in advance of this show, you are obligated by way of appearing on this show to give us some sort of sneak peek, teaser, and or uh, taste of what's to come, what people should be looking forward to with Zodiac that they may have not heard about anywhere else. So exclusively available on 40 and 20, the watch clicker podcast. What can you tell us to look forward to in the next handful of weeks or months about Zodiac? In, in the next handful of weeks, keep your eye on our social media. We've been teasing a little bit, but there will be a new Olympus and it's a, the most beautiful colorway Olympus I think I've ever seen. Um, and there is a date wheel that, and, and secondhand, which will change maybe your opinion of that model and it will throw light where there is shade and, and highlights part of our history and story that I think is really important to know. Did you How's just, that? Did that you just tease a loomed date wheel? <laughs> nope. Okay. <laughs> That's what I took from that and I got real excited about it. I thought it'd be dope. <laughs> Looking forward we've to done it. That. We've done loom like that before, but after that, every single... October's massive for us. We've got some really fun things coming out, but we've done titanium. There's another case material and there's another dial material to come. So you'll enjoy what's coming, hopefully. That was a pro tease right there. Mike, here we are. I that think this may tip. this may be the longest episode of 40 and 20 as we... I'm sorry. As, no, it's, it, it's, it's wonderful. Fault. He, he doesn't manage time well. And it is my fault. <laughs> we are going to move on. We are going to move on, uh, although we could probably talk all night. We, we basically have uh, Andrew. Andrew, you're here. I've heard you speaking tonight. Did you come prepared with another thing? And if so, 
Andrew, other things. What I did, and we have enjoyed it. So uh, the other day, my while I was at work, Sam had some friends over, and <laughs> as they do, they all bring beverages, and as they should, they abandon excess beverages at my house when they leave. As they should. So that's expected. Uh, what they left were Lone River Ranch Rita's, which are a flavor of the Lone River Ranch Waters, which are seltzers. Ranch water. Based out of West Texas. Ranch water. And it has this interesting, weird, like, like mythical story like this man traveled into the desert and he found it, this and he lived on it and there's like no the, real explanation it's like the typical micro brand watch story right <laughs> yeah it's it's he reached into the earth and, and brought forth a spring and and you know me i'm pretty okay with seltzers they do uh lime and agave seltzers so it's tequila seltzers basically. yeah yeah yeah, yeah. They're delicious, but the real winner are these ranch Rita's. They come in at like 6%. Which is not a small amount of booze. Not a small amount of booze. Exclusively based on how they drink. Because I have now had, I've now had many of these seltzers, but in particular the ranch Rita. It just goes down when it hits your lips. It, it drinks like a really clean, really tart margarita. I could get really drunk on these very frequently. catered on these <laughs> and not even consider it five grams of sugar 12 grams of carbs per rita the seltzers which are, for a seltzer that's 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 high but, but in those the, numbers the for a seltzers seltzer. themselves three grams of sugar three carbs and about so, half the calories yeah so so the seltzers 80 calories in the seltzer the ranch Rita's will might fuck you up a little bit. Yeah, but the, the, the Rita's are the ones that are going to get you there because they're 6%. The seltzers themselves, are, which are also very good, 4%. The Rita's at 6 you could drink about 9 of them and then try to stand up and and, and introduce yourself to the planet Earth. And die. They, they've got this, like, salty <laughs> dill yes. thing going on. I'm... These Dude, are, I could drink 10 of these right these now. These are my new summer daily drinkers. Maybe me too. They are so good. And I and and I don't feel weird drinking. I don't feel like I'm drinking a white claw. Sure. I don't feel like I'm drinking any other of the seltzer varieties. I feel like I'm drinking a lighter margarita. Because of the agave and and lime. Now you flavor sent this you sent this to me this week and you were like, you gotta try it. And I was like, that does not look good. And it looks kind of tacky. And yeah. then you had them tonight, and I was like, all right, all right, here we go. I I, I want to drink 12 of these. I got them for this purpose because I knew that you were going to judge me because I was like, because they're called Ranch Water. No, I want this. Which is the this. worst brand name ever for this. Put these, it in me. These are money. You, Mike, <laughs> can buy them. They're going to be available where you're at. Ranch Water, Ranch Rita's. They're, they're closer to cocktails than they are beer. Uh... I uh, get them. If you could see the screen, lovely listeners, it is like an advertisement uh, on my Zoom screen. It is very impressive. <laughs> it, it is an advertisement. We make zero fucking money. We yeah. are the dumbest businessmen oh. on the face of the earth, and I, you're gonna need to, you need to help I, us make more money. I Mike. co-sign wholly I'm on you drinking you. these. <laughs> well, I'm I'm probably the most boring drinker of all that sort of. I'm a, I'm a Guinness drinker. I'm drinking Stella tonight. I like whiskey, but in terms of the sweet stuff, doesn't go well with me i think you uh, so i think I would, you should pick up because they're not sweet 
I think you should They're pick sour. up one of these and just try it. It is sour. Yeah. I will try it and I will I will I'll comment on the social media feed and I'll I let you know will I if if you buy a six pack of either of the ranch water or the ranch Rita, try one, don't like it, I will reimburse you. Reimbursement guarantee. <laughs> money back guarantee. We actually no, are still just making Mike, no though, money. Not you, the listeners, just Mike. <laughs> I will take that bet. I will do that. No worries. You'll do it in New York, hopefully. Yeah. Mike, we've given you very specific instructions to come prepared with an other thing. And I understand that you've brought something. Other things, what do you want to talk about here tonight? Please don't please don't judge me in doing this. None. But I no have, judgment. No, we no, talked no. about Andrew's fucking seltzer addiction. Yeah. You guys are in Oregon. You guys have got a massive love for soccer up there for the uh, the timber the timbers and true story. I, I, for, I am, former former MLS Cup champions, but it just I was just going to throw it out there. You gave me your city, your main city, or, uh, Portland. Uh, one of my greatest memories as a, as a football soccer fan. Um, we um, my soccer team is called Aston Villa. They played the Timbers uh, a few years ago in a preseason game. True and story. We beat you in a very very poor game on uh, penalties. And um, I met Tom Hanks. A, a poor game for Aston Villa and a really, really monumentous emo- yeah, moment for the Timbers. <laughs> yeah. But I met Tom Hanks on the field. And I also at that point, and this goes back to watches, believe it or not. I looked to the heavens and I saw all these Aston Villa fans who I'd never met before who were US based. And they became some of my greatest friends. And they'd come from all over the world, all over the country to watch Aston Villa in Portland. Yeah. So my other thing is... We are watch people, but find something that brings people together other than watches. And mine is Aston Villa, my soccer team. They are mostly terrible, but it's true love. And if any of your people out there want to talk about football or meet me on the road and do that over a beer or a ranch water, I would gladly do this. And my thing (laughs) is to look to more than watches, but find something that you love. And mine is soccer. And it just reminded me of your brilliant, brilliant state. So, So, Mike, the true story here. That stadium that you went to to watch the Portland Timbers play right. football, perhaps, mm-hmm. against Austin Villa. So that is now called, I think, Providence Park. Yeah, Providence. It used to be PG. It, Providence Park, <laughs> formerly PG, formerly Civic Stadium. Yep. Formerly Civic Stadium. <laughs> My high school football stadium was Civic Stadium. So when I played football in high school and then American football. It's important. American right. football and yeah. not and Angle. not and not kickball. Uh I <laughs> played high school football games at that stadium in a much different iteration. So much before they've added the skyboxes and the beautiful right. seats and the and the concession, the wonderful concessions. That was my high school football stadium where you watched Aston Villa played the MLS Cup champion Portland Timbers. That was my high school and football stadium. I was playing club and soccer. Met Tom Hanks. And I, where you yeah, met Tom Hanks, Hanks, my high school oh. football stadium. I was playing club soccer when the Timbers became a thing there. And they had they were inviting club soccer teams to play there <laughs> just to have people remain for Timbers games. Yeah. So I got to play on the I got to play on PGE at the time. Yeah. If you know nothing about soccer in the United States or soccer in Oregon and you're into soccer at all, if you're into Premier League or whatever, if you think soccer's cool but I don't know much about it, you should research soccer in Portland. There's been some wonderful books 
soccer Agreed. is perhaps more than any other city in the United States, sort of the heart of professional, the modern professional soccer movement in the United States. And it's something I would recommend. I'm going to add to Mike's other thing. I think soccer in the United States is just a really spectacular thing. I'm here for it. I'm looking forward to it. And if you care, I think you should check out, I think you should check out Portland soccer. And if you don't care, you should check out American League Soccer because it's burgeoning right now. Oh, Detroit City FC. Going back to my home. Yeah. Yeah. DCFC got some fantastic fans. Yeah. Nuts. So I'm with you there. But that's my thing. Ta-da. That's a good (laughs) other thing. Everett? So my other thing this week is a little different. It's not a thing you can go and buy, perhaps, uh, or or that you can like. We we can't provide a link to this. Because you do have to pay for it. You do have to pay for it. And, and trust me, you have to pay a lot for it. We, we don't provide a link for this. Uh, my other thing this week is uh, something that is it maybe seems obvious. And to some of you, this will be obvious. Uh, some of you will be like, you're an idiot. Uh, I have, as some of you know, been into art perhaps my whole life. I I make art, I create art, I uh, dabble in art. I don't have the type of stick with itness to have made art in any sort of functional sense. I kind of I, I pick up a medium, I explore the medium, then I move on to the next medium. Um, sometimes with long gaps in between. But I've created a number of pieces of art over the year that I'm proud of, like stuff that I'm like, this is really fucking cool, and I like this. Um, A lot of the art I've created is on paper, as much of art is. Not all art, obviously, um, but but at least at least visual art. Um, Some on your hand. Some some on my body, literally, uh, hand, uh, and other places. I I have a collection of art that sort of circulates. I sort of keep it together. It's in a stack. It's in a stack. I've moved it now multiple times. That's a pile. A pile. It's in a pile. Um, I, this week, so some of my art has been moved to my office over the years. Some of the pieces I really like, I have in my office. I just, this week, got introduced to a framer, a professional framer. And he said, you got to come to the shop, right? It's going to be less money than you think it's going to be. And it will change the way you feel about your art. It will change the way you look at your art. And so I took a couple of pieces of art to... Uh, I'm going to give a shout out Capper Framers in Eugene, Oregon, and maybe we'll link them. Although I, I don't think they, they don't have like an online presence. You're not going to be able to like go to the website and check them out. Right. It's a local, it's a local place, which I think framing is. It's a local activity. It's a local activity. And so, and so don't go to Capper, go to your local frame shop. So I walked in and this probably about, I'd say 50 year old man with glasses and like an Oxford cloth button down shirt greeted me with an apron. He had an apron on and he was like, just the second I walked in, he just connected to me like eyes, like what are we doing today? And he was patient and slow and he knew exactly what I wanted before I knew what I wanted. I didn't know what I wanted. I was like, I have this art and I want to frame it. I spent about, I don't know, half hour with this guy and he, the very first thing he looked at what I did, he complimented my art, which is wonderful because nobody ever like I send pictures of my art to people and they're like, cool. Uh, he was like, this is so neat. I love these colors. And he's like, as he's talking, pulling out 
you know, they've got these drawers of like samples, matte samples and frame samples. He's pulling stuff out and he's just, before I even start talking, he's pulling stuff out to kind of show me. He's got an idea. He's got a plan. He walks me through. So I took two of my pieces of art to this place. I spent way too much money, way, probably way more money than I thought I was going to spend as I walked in there that day. Um, you know, not a lot of money, but about $300 for two pieces of art. Yeah, that's, that's not insignificant. And I'm now, I, and I've received these pieces of art and I am over the moon. I'm over the moon. I got these things back and it's changed them from things that were in the pile, proverbial pile at that point, uh, things that were in the pile to like these things that I feel like these are heirlooms. I've taken these oh, I love that. pieces of paper that I drew on with pencils and pens and markers uh, and, and, and liked my results and turned these things into, I think these are heirlooms. Like I, it occurred to me today as I was picking these things up, I was like, my kids might want to put these on their, like might want to put these on their walls and not be embarrassed or sheepish about it. Cause these are just cool. I, you know, by way of preserving these things in a tasteful way, I've turned these, you know, very amateur, very, uh, you, you know, silly kind of whimsical things that I've created into a thing that might live beyond me even. And so we know my, what they say. What do they, they say? say? They're fine. What they say, mechanical watches, jewelry and fine arts are the only things that last forever. So it's very, very nice for this podcast. Well, I don't think my art is fine, but it may last we for could a period be. of time. It's in a it's in a fine frame, though. <laughs> the, the frame is are. beyond reproach. For, for this link, I uh, I have selected um, the U.S. government's uh, forfeiture website auction for art. <laughs> Thank you. So I that, appreciate you. So that you may may bid on fine art. I guess my other thing for the week is if you are an artist or if you are someone who creates art, even if it's shitty, even if it's terrible, even if it's just a shitty picture that you took with your cell phone that you're like, I love this. I would say maybe consider getting it cared for framed. Go figure out a way to turn this thing that is like whatever into a thing that's a tangible item that you love and that and that the people in your life can love and that even perhaps after you die, someone else can appreciate. Be a custodian for the memory. Be a custodian for the memory. And and and, and so and so we, we're we're gonna wrap this around first circle. Mike, one of Mike Pearson, one of our custodians for the memory of <laughs> the zodiac of old and the person who is here to tell us about the zodiac of new. And and, and I'm gonna say one other thing because Mike Mike touched on this a lot. Uh, so Capper, I, I've mentioned a local framer in Eugene, Oregon. That's not going to be helpful to any of you at home. I want you to go find your local framer. I also want you to go find your local watch retailer. So we've talked about Topper on this show a number of times. Uh, fantastic company, right? Topper Jewelers, San oh, Francisco. Yeah. One of the, if not the most famous U.S. watch retailer. Um, we've got a company here called Skies, Skis, Skis, who invited me to a Seiko event this last weekend. Us. I just couldn't go. Where I purchased a Seiko King Seiko, the new King Seiko, which I love, and it's got on my yeah. wrist right now. 
find find that company locally and go fucking buy something from them because that I, I think that is a full circle sort of a bonus. Find your local company, find local people that have cool shit and spend money at that place. And you'll never know who's going to be in that store on that showcase next to you because there's a, I would always say that this community is very hard to talk to a lot of our friends about this hobby. But if you can find someone like-minded who does not make fun of you for spending this money on things on your wrist, make friends with them and stay friends with them because you yes. need them in this hobby. <laughs> yes. Well, Mike, thank you so much for joining us. Andrew, before we go... Is there anything you want to add? Because I think we're there, man. I'm all out of things, man. Frankly, I think we're there. I think we're close. Um, Mike, you, you've been invited, 40 and 20 of the Watch Clicker podcast. You're, you're invited again in the future. But before you go today, is there anything you want to add? Uh, no, thank you for, for having me on today. Uh, I wish you nothing but success with your new, uh, your new venture with your partners. Uh, but uh, for everyone out there, if you've got any questions, you can uh, contact me easily on Instagram at Mike Pearson six, or you can just look at any of the Zodiac watches, uh, social media for questions, but we've got a lot coming out. So be along for the ride. And if you like it, great. And if not, give us a smack and let us know how we can be better. Uh, but we really appreciate everyone out there. Thank you. You can find Mike at Mike Pearson six on Instagram. Also at, at Zodiac watches on Instagram. There's a blue check mark. You can also go to Zodiac Com, and you can oh, yes. fucking buy some watches, which the you should do. The ever-upgrading website. It's looking better every time. It's, it's, it, is a, it is a process, but we're getting there. And, and thank you guys for joining us for this episode of 40 and 20, the Watch Clicker Podcast. If you want, you can check us out on our social media, at 40 and 20 or at Watch Clicker on Instagram. Uh, that's where, that's where we kind of give you updates. Uh, po we post some cool pictures, and we kind of tell you what we're doing. We tell you what we're doing on our website, watchclicker.com, which is where we post a every episode of this podcast, but also weekly reviews, articles, cool shit. Like, we, we, hey, hey, just check us out because it's great. If you want to support what we're doing at Watch Clicker, you can do that at patreon.com slash 40 and 20. Look, this is not cheap to do what we do, hosting for photographs and audio and all that stuff. It costs money, but but we're here for it. And you're here for it. Patreon.com slash 40 and 20. And that's how you can support us. And don't forget to tune back in next Thursday for another hour of watches, food, drinks, life, and other things we like. Bye-bye.